Let's pray. Dear God, until your work is done, Lord, do something tonight in this room. Whatever has started already in our hearts, dear God, please, let your will be done in our life. Lead us. Lord, lead us in the way everlasting. And we will continue to give you all glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Can we give it up for the band, please? Oh. You know, when I was, when I was growing up, thanks. Uh, my father... You know, you heard a little bit about my story. My father, he, uh, he would say crying is a sign of weakness. And so I didn't cry until I was 15 years old. And I was invited to a Future Quest youth conference in El Cajon, California. And uh, the speaker said, if you need Jesus, run to the altar. I sprinted. I took people out. And, man, I cried like a baby for like 40 minutes. There was all these red dots around my eyes. I was just bursting all these blood things around. I was just bad, man. I was crying so hard. Now I just can't help it. I'm like tearing up. I'm like, oh God, oh God. Ah. I just couldn't help. I can't help it anymore. I just, just God has just totally given me this, just, this sensitivity to his spirit. I'm just, ah. Oh. So when I get into those worship moments and I'm, and I'm singing, I'm praying, like, there's power in the name of Jesus. I'm just like, oh God, yes. You know, and I'm crying. I just can't help it. And so, man, it just, I, I feel so full. So I, I'm so thankful for the tech and the, and the band and what they do to prepare and, and help us just get to a place, right, where, where we can hear and listen to the word of God. So, so thank you, band. Real quick, I just sort of the person next to you, touch the person next to you and just say, I'm glad you're here. Yes. I'm glad you're here. Now turn to the other person and say, you were my second choice, but I'm still glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs> Never realized that. Huh? You're like, oh gosh, I did choose you first. <laughs> oh man. So, um, so like I said uh, before, I actually grew up in uh, uh, San Diego, California. I live in Reno. But there was a time, about eight years of my life, I lived in Knoxville, Tennessee. It was east. Whoa, what's up, Tennessee? Volunteers? Oh my gosh. Okay, moving on. <laughs> We're gonna start a riot. Okay, hold on. All right, so, so I was in Knoxville, Tennessee. Eight years I was there. It was East Knoxville, okay? And now East Knoxville, this is the ghetto, my friends, okay? This is a bad part of town. And this is where I was housed. I was part of this, this parachurch ministry team. And they gave us like this old family inn motel that they renovated. Um, and, and it was a place we could live for free. And so we, that's, where, that's where we lived. Um, and so uh, I, I met my wife. I was, I was on this ministry. I ended up... Uh, we ended up staying in this home or this, uh, this hotel, old hotel, and, uh, and that's where we lived when we first got married. Isn't that romantic? This is a beautiful story. Yeah, what we found out later was that the family inn motel that was renovated was used for prostitution and drugs. Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. So we're there, we're there, right? So it's a bad part of town, okay? Bad part of town. Uh, I've been married for, you know, about a year and a half. My wife is pregnant. She, uh, she works at Dollywood. 
Dollywood, okay? It's a, it's a pretty fun place, right? It, they're all into it out there. We love it. It's great. So she's working at Dollywood. She plays the violin, you know. She fiddles a little bit. And, uh, and she was doing all that stuff. I'm, I was a drummer, so I'm like, violin, that's too hard for me, all right? I just need to hit stuff. So, so, I'm, so we're there. Bad part of town. And um, have you ever been, like, so hungry, like, so hungry where you're just, like, willing to just do anything and go anywhere. Has anyone ever been that hungry before? You're like, yeah, every day of my life. <laughs> you know, I'm just hungry. Man, you're hangry, you're hungry. So there was this night, and I don't know, for whatever reason, I was totally, this season of my life, I was totally into junior bacon cheeseburgers from Wendy's. I don't know why, it's just it's good. So I'm like, yes, no, 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 you know, it's great. So I'm hungry, it's like 7 p.m. at night, but I know it's a very bad part of town. I'm talking about like we hear gunshots every few days, just pop, pop, pop. What's that? I don't know, I think it's a Glock. You know, I don't know what, I don't know what it is, but it's a, some kind of gun. You know, it's just normal. People are around this area, that's just how it happens. So, so I'm there, I'm thinking it's 7 p.m., I'm by myself. Um, my, my wife is, is, uh, is at Dollar, she's working, she won't be home until hours later. And I'm like, I really want, though, a junior bacon cheeseburger right now. Like, that's all I'm dreaming about. I feel like the Holy Spirit is leading me towards the direction of Wendy's. I need to get there. So, and I'm like, but in my mind, I go, but I know it's like not a good, area, and I, I know that there's been some high crime in this area, but you know, what how, What are the chances? What are the chances, right, of someone actually, like, coming up to me and trying something, right? This is weird, okay? So I'm like, I'm going to get in my car. I get in my car. I go to the, the Wendy's, you know, dr- drive-thru. Right? I'm not getting out. I'm staying in my car. I'm safe. So I go through the drive-thru. I get my junior bacon cheeseburger. Everything's going great. This is like a mile from where I'm, I'm actually staying. So it's not even far. And then I pull in to the little parking spot as I arrive back home. I step out of my car. Actually, I grab my junior bacon cheeseburger, step out of my car, okay? And probably from here, uh, about here, here to where that drum, where I'm standing to where that drum set is, there's this guy in a hoodie charging at me in full speed. So I go and I look and I go, <gasps> I drop my junior bacon cheeseburger. The bag, right? And I go, huh! And this pure instinct, the Holy Spirit, right? Just boom! And I catch this. I look down, and the dude's got a kitchen knife, and I just caught his wrists. And I'm like, and little did he know, I grew up doing jujitsu. <laughs> and I used to cage fight. So it's like, I have a special set of skills that I'm about to display. Because all of a sudden, right, I get this. He's, I catch it. Pure instinct, Holy Spirit, Jesus moment. I catch it. And then he tries to lunge it. He's like, Ugh! he tries to lunge it into my stomach. And it was like a trigger. The training kicked in. And it was like, oh, game on. So I take this guy down. I take the knife out of his hand. I've got him in a hold. And for whatever reason, once I had him in a submission hold, there was this peace that overwhelmed me. And I just was like, so what's up, bro? Where are you from? I No joke, I asked him, where are you from? Is that the weirdest thing? It was like a, like a, like a pastor thing just filtered through my head. It was weird. Hello there, how can I pray for you? You know, it's like, what happened? And he goes, he goes, the guy goes, it don't matter where I'm from, you stole crack from my girl. 
I don't know why, but that just pissed me off. I just went nuts. I was like, what? Squeeze. You know, like, I'm just, you know, so I'm like holding him down. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to just block those carotid arteries a little more. And so I'm, so I'm just holding him. I finally let the guy up. He takes off running. And we call the police. And I finally get to eat my junior bacon cheeseburger. And it was good. You know, the person living there, like in another room, walks out super late. Hey, what's going on, man? And I'm like, be quiet, go to bed. It's totally fine. I just almost died. Here's the thing. When we're hungry enough for something, I think we just go places and we do things that we otherwise wouldn't. And so I just want to ask, just, just ask yourself this. How hungry are you for Jesus? I mean, really, don't, I mean, don't quickly answer that. Just, how hungry are you? How desperate are you for Jesus? Not do I have to be here. Not, 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 how hungry are you, man, for this? There's a portion in Scripture. I just want to read this. I, I, I kind of brought it up uh, um, yesterday, last night. I kind of brought this up a little bit. Uh, and there's this a beautiful story. It's a story of this woman who has this issue with blood and also this man who has a daughter who's about to die. And it's all kind of wrapped up. And, and I was reading through this. There's so many things we can pull from this story. But I just want you to read. Uh, I want to read this for you. I want you to hear this story. Uh, because there is this woman that I believe was just so hungry and desperate to get to Jesus. So listen to this in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 40 and 48. It's on the screen. It says, now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. Because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. They were pressing up against him, right? And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. I mean, come on, you know, everyone touched you, man. What's going on, you know? But Jesus said, no, 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 someone touched me. I know that power has gone out of me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling before, right? Trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she had been touched. She told why she had been touched. Him. She touched him and how she had instantly been healed. In some translations it says that she told the whole story, right? Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Let me just draw a couple things out from this. I, I kind of want to have like a little bit of an intimate time with you tonight, just a little devo time. Let me, let me just draw out a couple things that I just immediately get from this text, from this passage of Scripture that I think is so critical for us to understand. First of all, um, Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. He is on his way. To perform a, potentially perform a miracle. At the time he was just going, Jesus, can you do something? Sure, let's go. And this dad 
is desperate for Jesus to get to the house. But it was while they were on the way, on the way, that this woman stepped in and received power. On the way. On the way. Listen. I think so often we get caught up on the destination when really there's so much to get from the journey that we're all on. You are on your way to get a degree. You're on your way to start that, that thing, that calling on your life. And you think that you can't do this. I have to just get there. Once I get there, then I'll get what I need. Then I'll get the power of God. Then I'll be able to start whatever. But we're missing the potential power that is on the way. The, the in-between time. And so often our brains are caught up. But as long as I just got to wait. Once I get there, then everything will be cool. But it is on the way that there is a power, something significant that God has for us in the journey. And not necessarily always in the destination. And we miss this, I think, so often. The other thing is this, this woman was unnamed. Jairus is named. A lot of the times they name a person because of their significance, right? He was a leader in the synagogue. There's a very significant man. This, is, this woman is unnamed. In fact, she was known by her problem. She was known by her problems. And sometimes our problems get so big it actually swallows up our identity. Other times our problems get so big it's because we talk about our problem all the time. We lead conversations with our problem. We live on the problem side of every issue, not on the solution side of the issue. We tend to live on the problem side. And what some of us do when there are problems and issues is we talk about that, we lead in our conversations with that, and we end up magnifying the problem. And when we magnify something, we get more of it. And here's this woman. She's known as the woman with the issue of blood. And some of us kind of walk around with this defeated problem mindset and culture, right? We celebrate our issues and our problems and our past mistakes and, and oh, you don't understand, woe is me and Debbie Downers and all this and that. And oh, I'm so discouraged or I'm not good enough or I'm not smart enough or I'm not talented enough. And we have all these kind of things that we try and work through. And what gets celebrated, right, gets repeated. What gets repeated becomes culture. And it is the culture in our life that is all of the sudden produced because we are continuing to praise our problems over and over and over. And this is a woman who is unnamed. She's known by her problem. But let me just throw, throw a little bit of grace and mercy her way. It had been 12 years. Can you blame her? 12 years. <laughs> I, I, I once talked to a young person who was in a relationship. Okay, they were in a relationship, and I remember they would. Uh, they said, "They said, Miguel, well, I, I think I don't know. I don't know if uh, you know this person is really into me, and I don't know." I'm like, "Why? Well, they never text me back." I was like, "Oh, hold on a second. Explain what that means." She, she's like, "Well, okay." She's like, "Well, when I I text him, hey, hey, thinking of you, right? Okay." She goes, and then I wait like a minute, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" Oh my gosh, five minutes has passed, right? What? Is he okay? Oh my gosh, 
Maybe something happened to him. Ten minutes have passed. He's cheating on me. Right? Like, the, sh- come, I mean, very few minutes have passed. And you're like, what? You go crazy. You're waiting for a response. Why aren't they responding back? I know where they are. I know what they're doing right now. Why are they ignoring my text message? You know, you know who you are. Don't look at them. Don't look at them. Okay. And we're there. And we're waiting for that message back. See, we're a culture, man. We, we don't like that. This woman had been dealing with this issue for 12 years. Day after day. Disappointment after. No one could cure it. Every doctor she went to, every, every diagnosis, every medical treatment, everything failed over and over and over again. And for 12 years, it was 12 years of disappointment. And when you read the passage and you're looking through this and you're just going, come on. I can relate. I can understand. There's, I mean, there has to be, right, some kind of like empathy for her for 12 years. I can't even imagine it. On top of that, just a a side note, the law declared her unclean. Think about that. Okay, in this day, the law declared her unclean. Not only was she a woman in this era, in this time, which was not very easy, but she was also unclean, ceremonially unclean. She had this disease, this issue. That means everywhere she went, when you're reading through this story, every little place she went, she was separated from community. She was alone. She was outcast, right? She wasn't allowed to go to church. She wasn't allowed to go to the synagogue. She wasn't allowed to be in the presence of people. She had to be pulled away all the time. She was in total isolation. And what did that produce? Listen, it produced a spirit of desperation in her life. She was desperate. She was so ready. She was desperate. Desperation often pushes us into our destiny and it certainly did for her. She was so desperate. I once heard someone said that desperation is the doorway that breakthrough walks through. Desperation is the door that breakthrough walks through. Why haven't I received a breakthrough? Maybe because you're not Desperate enough, man, for Jesus. You're not ready. You're not there. You're not hungry. I'm willing to go anywhere. You're not there yet. Are you desperate enough? This woman got to this point. Desperation, listen, will open doors where complacency will just keep it shut. And we live in this culture of casual. This this culture of just complacency. Don't, Don't shout too loud. That's weird. Mm. Don't, don't raise your hand. Do the quarter, quarter inch raise right here, right? Halfway. That's good. That's good. Keep it there. Hold it steady, right? When you worship. You don't, don't act like a crazy person on the stage. No, don't do that. That's strange. That's weird. Don't act crazy around in public. Oh, sh- keep it down, man. Keep it down, man. Chill. Chill, bro. No, we have, we have this culture of casual, this culture of complacency that has infected, I think, our churches and has infected our culture and our generation. And people are fearful and scared to stand out. And I think so often it's just this desperation. And, and, and I think God often is just screaming, come on. You need to get hungry. 
this woman for 12 years. And listen, this woman, she, had ran, she ran out of options. Jarius, the same, this leader, ran out of options. They were desperate. And I, again, I, I'm looking at the story, and man, I was racking my brain with this because I'm going, man, I don't know if I've ever even been there. She, she was all alone. She ran out of options. This is, she was at the, her very last, down, her very last, she had hit rock bottom. You ever heard that before? I've hit rock bottom. But you know what's amazing about rock bottom? It's a pretty solid foundation to build on. And she was right there. Rock bottom. Man. I think there, there are times, I, I, I think that we don't believe God when we have a lot of options. I, I, this is my opinion, okay, again, it's Miguel 316 right here, okay. I, I, I just think, I think when there's a plethora of options in front of us, there's this tendency not to necessarily need God or believe God or see the power of God. Why? I got options, man. Sometimes he has to close every door for us to see him effectively and appropriately. You remember Paul, Saul of Tarsus, interrupted on the road, on the way to Damascus. Blinded. So he had a bird box his way everywhere, right? Oh my gosh, where, are we, where am I going, Lord? You know? Total dependence, though, on God. And I think the options kind of mess with us sometimes. How hard is, is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven? We have so many options available. And it isn't until, the, it's like things are removed that all of a sudden we're going, whoa. Let, let me just be a little bit transparent. There are people in the world that are believing God for water. And I'm going to admit to you, I have never had to believe God for water. I thank God for the water I have. I do my best to be grateful for the things he's provided me. But I've never had to believe God for water. Why? Because i got a kitchen sink. I pay my water bill, so I get water. I, I didn't pray for God and believe God to dress me this morning, brush my teeth, or get me out of bed. I can do that all by myself. I can do it. And it's like, it's like faith is born when, when, when man's abilities fail. It's like we get to this place, right, where, where the faith erupts in this moment where, fa- where man's ability, right, it just, just crumbles and we can't do it on our own and we have no more options available to us and there's nothing else we can do. There's no place we could go. And so we have to turn to the one who is the source of it all. We have to turn to God. And so I see this. And I'm seeing this woman and, and, and also this man who is at that point. And man, they have to push through the crowds, push people out of the way to get to Jesus. And here is this setback in this woman's life. But listen real closely. Sometimes your setback is really a setup for the power of God. 
Think about it. If this, cinematically speaking, and if this was a movie and, and, and the writers of This Is Us is, is, is doing this, right, uh, in this story, you read this story, all of a sudden it would be a flashback 12 years later in a hospital. And here is this couple who has this baby girl who's born. And in another room, there's a woman who's just been diagnosed. In one room, there's a promise of a hopeful future. And in the next room, there's a pain that this woman is experiencing. And, it, it, and all of a sudden, 12 years goes. And she's going, man, this is the biggest setback I've ever had in my life. But she gets to this place. And she's there and it's with Jesus and she's hungry and she's desperate. And often I think sometimes, listen, the setbacks that we will experience just might be a setup for the power of God in your life to be used. You know, I, 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 <laughs> I was reading this over and over and over today and, and um and I, I realized something. This woman, she didn't have a summit to attend. She, she didn't have a, a godly Christian school to be encouraged and, and taught and guided. She, she didn't have that. She didn't have books or videos to be inspired by. She didn't have any of those people. She didn't have that. She just said within herself, if I could just touch him. If I could just touch him. In fact, the original language says that she continually said within herself, if I could just touch him, if I could just touch him, if I could just touch him, but if I could just touch him. And over and over she would say this, over and over she would just believe, if I could just touch him, man, and she was desperate and she was hungry for that. But understand, those words were bold, dangerous words. Because for her to touch him would be breaking a list of laws in this day. And it meant death. She was not allowed to do this. She was not allowed to touch people. She was unclean. For her to say this is literally breaking all the laws. It's going past the religion into this relationship. She just said, but I just need, if I could just touch him. And she would say it over and over and over again. And even within herself, there was this revival that erupted. She couldn't be stopped. She would go. Even if it meant death, she would go. But then don't miss this. And, and, and this is so important. The words that she would say, if I could just touch him, were so dangerous. And let me just ask this question. Is what you're praying about God, the vision for your life, is it frightening you a little bit? I heard someone once say, if your vision for your life doesn't intimidate you a little bit, it might be insulting to the creator God. We have such a safe default. Lord, send me anywhere except for uh, Uganda. I don't want to go there. You know, no, I don't want to go to Africa. I don't want to go there. Send me to a gated community, Lord, with uh, people with some money. And, and send me there. Really would love to live there. Thank you, Jesus. 
You, you see what I'm saying? There is this default that we have that we're, we're scared to go. We don't want to say it because if we say it out loud, all of a sudden it becomes an option or in prayer in our life. And it's like, can we not just pray boldly and go boldly before the throne and say, Lord, let your will be done in my life. I'm hungry and desperate for you. It does not matter what it takes. And yes, the vision that you've called me to is scaring me to death. But let your will be done. Let your will be done. If that's what it means, I will, I will leave everything behind and follow you. And this is where she is. This is what she's saying. Now listen, don't miss this part in the, in the text. She touches, not him, listen, she touches something that's touching him. She's touching something that is connected to him. She touches the edge of his cloak, the, the, the bottom part of his cloak. And while his back is turned to her, he was not headed in her direction. In most places, most of the time, miracles that happen in scripture, Jesus headed that way and went to that victim or person. This is a time where Jesus is headed in a different direction than she was. And his back was turned. Have you ever felt like God's back was to you? Like it's like, God, can you not hear me? I've been praying. I've been, sur I'm trying. God, why are you silent? Have you ever been there? And so what does she do? I'm going to read. She's on her knees and she touches just the dirtiest, filthiest part. The everyday mundane thing she ends up touching and immediately she's healed. Immediately she's healed. And I think, listen, it is so subtle that she touches something that's touching Jesus. And I'm just curious. I'm wondering. I think many times we say, Lord, bless what I'm doing instead of doing what he's already blessed. Or doing what he's already blessing. So don't just ask, God bless what I'm doing. Mm -mm. Do what he's already blessing. What do you see in your life that God has already blessed? That God is currently blessing? Maybe it's, man, I will stack the chairs in that service because I see something really powerful happening in that service, in that place. I'm willing to do whatever. I just want to be a part of it, man. I have this leader in my life, man. I see an anointing in him. He's my pastor. He's my leader. I, can I wash your car? Why? Because I just want to touch that. I just want to be a part of the ministry that you're doing, man. I just do anything, man. I'll, I'll, I'll scrub your toilets. Whatever it takes. I just want to be a part of it. But you, you know what processes through our mind? Ooh, I don't, I don't want to do that. If I can't be in that role, if I can't sing that part, if I can't be in that position, this pecking order that we've got, then why? I don't want to do that. Why? So I have to stack chairs? So I have to serve there? So wait, 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 wait. Okay, so i got to serve in kids ministry and white baby butts? Nah, I don't know. I kind of have a bigger calling in my life, man. i got talent. i got skills, man. I, I can't be seen doing that. But man... 
What if we did the, just the everyday things that all of us miss, right? There's so many times we're just walking past it. And what if we just did what he was already blessing instead of always ask God, bless what I'm doing. Bless what, but, but, but hold on, God, but I got some plans. You don't know, this is going to be a good one. The last one failed, but this one's going to work. I got an idea. You got to bless this. Lord, bless this. Lord, put some oil, get, get some oil over here. We'll use that. I mean, whatever it takes, man, let's just do this. When you should just get involved with what he's already blessing. Touch what he's already touched. Do what he's already blessing. Why? Because extraordinary moves of God always begin with ordinary acts of obedience. Extraordinary moves of God, power of God, always begin with ordinary acts of obedience. The everyday grind, the process, not in the promise, but in the process of every day. I'm going to get up and I'm going to meet with Jesus. I'm going to say, you want me to stack chairs or you want me to serve over here or you want me to do that? I will scrub the floor of this chapel auditorium if it means that I get to be a part of whatever God is anointing in this room. If that's what it means, I will clean every inch of this place. But we don't have that. Very few people actually get to that place where they are so desperate for Jesus. If I could just touch him. Amen. So what do we have? We have ordinary churches. We have ordinary Christians. We have ordinary services. We have ordinary lives. And it's almost as if People are striving for normal. But let me help you with something. If you are in Christ, if you are following Jesus, if you've chosen to follow Jesus, you are not normal. You are a bunch of weirdos for the name and cause of Christ. And you have a message and a calling to get out and tell people about Jesus. But Whoa, what, what does that actually mean in the original Greek, though, Miguel? When can we get to a place, right, where we are just falling on our faces and saying, Lord, let your will be done, and we mean it. Let your will be done. So as I hear this story, and finally, listen, here's Jesus, right? He's, he's there. And this woman is pushing through the crowd. Because you know what? Sometimes you, fight, you have to fight for it, man. And, and she's pushing through it. And, and you're pressing through that. Man, man, I have to endure math class for the name of Jesus. Right? Come on. It feels that way. Struggle's real. I did not like math, but man, I had to push it. Right? She's pushing through. She touches it. Jarius. Real quick side, side note here. Right? This is us. Jarius, right? Okay. Jarius. Time is of the essence. My daughter is dying. Come on, Jesus. Let's go, Jesus. Again, he's a pastor. He's pushing through the crowds. Come on, get out, of the, get out of the way. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. Oh, hey, Jarius, I really liked your message last Sunday. Yeah, cool. Move out the way. Right? Boom. boom. He's going. Come on, Jesus. And then all of a sudden, Jesus decides to say, who touched me? Hmm. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Jesus, everybody's touched you, bro. Like, come on. Peter, can you talk to your boy for a second? Like, you know, let him know. We got to go. Come on. 
And then it says, if you continue reading this chapter, as Jesus was talking, the news came about the girl. She's dead. She didn't make it. That was real. Don't bother the teacher. Have you, if you're Jairus, have you ever been in a place in your life where you are praying for God to do something great for a miracle and you have to stand around and watch everyone else get their miracle? Like you get all these posts and you're watching, oh, man, I, I, I wanna be in a relationship. I wanna find a godly man or woman. Oh, man, I, I, wanna, I want that too. God, I'm praying, oh, okay. And you kind of have that like smile. Oh yeah, praise the Lord, God bless you. What do I do with my hands? You, you see what I'm saying? Would you kind of just, you ever been there? Jesus stops. And I can't help but to think between the two, that there's a correlation, right, between the two. There is the, 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 the mature woman, right? And there is the young girl. There is the former generation and the coming generation. The coming generation where all the stats are against you and it's like you're headed to death. Doesn't look good. We might lose this generation. We have a former generation that's hemorrhaging, lost vision and hope. And we have Jesus right in the middle of it all. He heals one and gives life to one but in the coming generation, he's planning a resurrection. And if you're in this room and you feel like there's something that is dying in your life, you feel like there's, like there's hope that has been lost and you're right there and you're saying, Lord, but it's gonna die. I don't know what to do, I'm lost. And in this generation, there's more depressed and stressed and anxious young people than ever before. And there are young people that are, they're giving in and they're giving up. And if that's you, let me just tell you, don't quit. There is a resurrection that is planned, that Jesus is coming. So let's go, let's move, let's get up. Let's take it on because there's a resurrection that's coming in your life. And you know it, and I know it, and you feel it, and you just gotta be right there. You gotta be desperate enough and willing to go and push through all the boundaries and push through all the obstacles. And whatever it is, Lord, that you want me to do, I will go. And that's the generation that doesn't see all their circumstances as disappointment, but an opportunity to just dig deeper into your desperation, Lord, because that's what's gonna push me through the next season that's coming. Because when I finish this class and I finish this degree and I move on to the next season of my life, man, bring it on. I'm punching Satan in the face and there's gonna be a resurrection around me and we're gonna give all glory and power and praise and chains are gonna be broken. All because of the name of Jesus, all because we were hungry enough and desperate enough for it.
Are you hungry? Are you desperate for him? Let me pray. Oh, dear God. Lord, I think sometimes I, uh, man, I, I, I fail. Sometimes, Lord, I get caught up in, in, in my, myself, Lord, and I, I, it's all about me and it's all about what I want to do. This is so important that you would do whatever you need to do to make me so desperate for you. Eliminate the distractions, pull them out. I don't see that, Lord, and help me not to see that as punishment against me, Lord, but an opportunity to step in to a desperate, desperate mind and heart that is needing you and dependent on you. God, let this generation boil, Lord, in the crock pot of Christianity that they might get a desperate heart for you, Lord. Let all the things that happen in their life, whether it's trial, pain, or suffering, Lord, whether it's joy or glory, whatever happens, that it would feed this hunger and desperation because something is coming where they're going to need to push through the crowds and the obstacles because they're so desperate. And, And God... When that happens, we will give you all glory and honor. And we will be like juggernauts for Jesus. And nothing will be able to stop your church. We love you, God. In Jesus' name.